If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-US wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. Welcome in to the BSN Rockies podcast. It really wasn't talked about back then when I was in middle school and high school about pitching at elevation. It, the majority of the staff, I think, except for Marquez, we all came through the system uh, of the Rockies, and, and you can see that this was installed a long time ago. We're going to put a team on the field that's that's on a hit and play defense well, but also have a, a group of pitchers that know what it takes to pitch at this level and also you know, pitching at Coors with everything that goes along with that, with you know, altitude and everything. It's very special, and we pride ourselves on it. And once I actually got off the family plan, I actually texted him, hey, I got my own phone bill and he's like it's about time <laughs> so those were pretty good ones. did you have a gold glove before you were on your own phone plan um yeah i did i did i did i got brought in with runner at second and i walked the eight nine hole guys um who i faced in triple a earlier that year and then all of a sudden derek jeter comes over bases loaded and i'm like oh man what i do but i started him off the breaking ball actually for a strike and ended up oh, striking him out so <laughs> what, do I, what do i do i'll surprise him <laughs> And now, your host, Drew Priestman. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. On this episode of the podcast, we do have a little bit of an actual baseball game to discuss. Another frustrating one from the Colorado Rockies, who didn't get the best start out of John Gray, but he really battled. Uh, Offense came back. It looked like they were going to have an opportunity to win it. Tough inning for Carlos Estevez late. Ends up giving up the big double to Buster Posey that ends up being the decisive hit in the game. So, uh, a 6-5 loss for the Rockies, a frustrating one, but honestly not a ton to analyze inside of there. I actually thought this would be a great time to bring Patrick Lyons back on the podcast, not just to do your normal co-hosting duties, which I always appreciate, but more of a, I, w- I wanted to pick your brain about your road trip experiences recently. As most of you listening to this know, Patrick was out on the road covering the Colorado Rockies in New York and in Washington, D.C. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the 
trip and then about some of the pieces that came out of that that I thought were especially interesting. But just overall, because I know you've covered the team on the road before. I've covered the team on the road before a little bit. But this was a, a longer sort of big East Coast swing. Uh, you got to be in Yankee Stadium. You got to check out uh, D.C. And you got to go to Cooperstown. So what, you know, was sort of your big takeaway from from this whole trip? Uh, how How just kind of mind-blowing was it to go through all those history of, of baseball moments and get to talk to so many interesting and incredible people? The experience allowed me to realize that I can eat, sleep, and breathe baseball literally. Yeah. Uh, well, not of course literally. <laughs> I want to see you breathe that baseball later. That's it. Um, but I can do it 24-7, and I, I don't get sick of it. I don't get tired of that grind, at least on the road, where there's less – you know, friends like we have here at Coors Field where you're talking, you're catching up, you're BSing, and uh, it's, it's plenty of fun. But on the road, there, there aren't those, I guess, fun distractions. So uh, it allowed me to get down to, to do a lot of work, like you mentioned, and, and write a bunch of stories. Cooperstown was, was the first destination, and I uh, just had a small window there. I'd, I've been there five or six times, you know, already in my life. It's, it's a spot my father and I, we've Loved going to. We'd gone to several inductions uh, for players over the years, like Steve Carlton, Phil Rizzuto, Mike Schmidt. Uh, in 1999, when there was a big class of Nolan Ryan, George Brett, Robin Yount, as well as Orlando Cepeda. That's a good class. Yeah, and and Carlton Fisk, I would as I had predicted would be in that class. He had to wait the next year in 2000. Who were the uh, people who were wishy-washy on Carlton Fisk? Who were the voters who were like, I need to look into those numbers a little better? I don't, I don't know. I mean, that, that was a perfect crop right there. Those four guys should have gone in together, yeah. but uh, uh, it didn't quite happen. And then in, in 2014, after having already lived out here in Colorado, I, I decided I had to go back east to see some uh, of my all-time favorite players get in in that, that uh, 2015 class of, uh, excuse me, 2014 class of Frank Thomas, Greg Maddox, and Tom Glavin. Uh, there are also three managers that got in, Joe Torre, Bobby Cox, and Tony LaRusso. So that was an all-time class. And experiencing it this time on the other side as part of the press was, was fantastic too. Ozzie Smith has this uh, play ball event that takes place Friday morning where there's a, a group of, of folks that come out. There was actually a guy I met who worked at Fort Carson uh, who was there with uh, a group of kids, and uh, he, he grew up in Seattle, so he was very uh, lucky to be there for Edgar Martinez's induction. So spoke with Ozzy, spoke with Jim Tome, who is, who is the only teammate of Roy Halladay to be in the Hall of Fame as of right now. So right. that was nice getting his words and reflections on Halladay, which you can see in that piece. Yeah, that was definitely my favorite part of your trip. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not to put myself in the middle of it here, but... Jim Tomey was one of my favorite ball players as a kid, was one of those guys my dad told me to emulate, was one of his favorite ball players. We always called him the thumb. The thumb. Hey, Drew, I, I can still hear my dad. Get, Drew, come in. The thumb is at bat. The thumb is at bat. Because you couldn't miss a Jim Tomey at bat. That guy knew how to hit, uh, probably still knows how to hit, could get out there and swing in a little bit. But one of the things that always seemed to me is like he just seemed like one of those guys who, like you were saying, eat, drinks, breathes, baseball, and, and is so great to people he seemed that ways in in interviews and then you send me some audio of him answering some questions and you and him talking Roy Halladay and it was just all those things you hope to hear out of a guy like that and and so first of all how cool is that and second of all 
can you get more into just the kind of feeling? Because this was a, a very strange Hall of Fame induction. We have not re- obviously a very sad one with the passing of Roy Halladay and a lot of people in Colorado, very close uh, to him and his family and, and watched him throughout his career, even though he never pitched here because he's from here. Uh, but it seemed like there were a lot of emotions flying around uh, that were pretty palpable, uh, very powerful up and through the induction ceremony. His wife, Brandy, did a fantastic job with the speech for, of his induction on, on Sunday up there at the Clark Sports Center. And all the other you know, inductees, um, the other five of them, were very welcoming to Brandy and, and you know, shattered out by name because essentially it was, these, were the, these were the six that were part of that group. So they all welcomed her. She did a fantastic job with her speech. And, yeah, it was, it was a very bittersweet moment you know where you have a guy going in posthumously like that in in a fashion that we haven't really seen in a long time you know again in in the article if you get into the specifics of it Roy Halladay is essentially the first player to ever get inducted in this fashion where he's voted in by the Baseball Writers Association of America on the first ballot yes but posthumously yeah correct yeah and and that's I learned that from your piece actually I was I was kind of blown away and when you think about it 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 makes some sense why that would be the case, but it's it's also a reminder of just how extraordinarily dominant he was in his career. That there really and it wasn't one of those things where hey, he was maybe a Hall of Famer, but because he died early, that there was some kind of you know people talk about, like Heath Ledger winning the Academy Award. He, he was phenomenal in that movie, and people came out to say it's not because he died; he won the Academy Award because he deserved it. And I think. A hundred percent of the people who were there would say Roy Holiday's in the Hall of Fame because he was one of the greatest pitchers who ever picked up a baseball. Yeah, that's that's precisely what everyone says about Sandy Koufax. But if you look in the top ten list of the all-time, you know, strikeouts and wins and things of that nature, you don't see Sandy Koufax's name there. You know, because he didn't have a long career, he didn't, you know, tabulate a lot. He wasn't a compiler. That's that's kind of the word. Harold Baines was more of a compiler. You know, he had a nice long career. So. Um, you know, Halliday definitely falls in that class where he was just so dominant for, you know, a, a still a, a long amount of time, but it, but it wasn't a 20-year career where he's pitching into his mid-40s like a Nolan Ryan, who also had those dominant years as well. So uh, very bittersweet. And, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, didn't make it into the article on Halliday was, and I know you heard this, and um, it actually, you mentioned how the hearing the Tomei article, uh, excuse me, the Tomei interview um, how how much that affected you or the impact your response to me you know had an impact on me as well you know because I, I like it to hear you talk about your father and those memories so to kind of share this thing like you know this this cyclical thing that recycled between you me Jim Tome your dad uh, was a real beautiful thing uh, so I, I really like that but yeah. but Tome himself had said like you know how great is this you know my sons are out here having a game of catch and you know we just he had just lost his father so last year he got inducted his father was there in Cooperstown to welcome him seeing his son go into the Hall of Fame wow. passes away um, wow. the off season I believe it was March and uh, and now he now he's back without his father but um, it, it was it was all a very very touching and, and, and moving moment for for those 24 hours that I was there in Cooperstown yeah um, and our good friend Larry Patrick who's sitting here with us we'll have you on the podcast for your own segment here soon Larry but did pass us a little note reminding that probably the closest thing to this was Roberto Clemente who went in immediately he's the only guy who's never even had to wait the normal they waved right because because of the tragic crash there another it was a plane crash as well and um, I guess it's just another 
Billy Joel was right. You know, only the good die young, right? It, it's just it seems to happen to the best people, and and it's really sad when it does. But <laughs> the other yeah. thing I'll add about that is uh, I, I sat down with Ed Henderson, who is uh, we see him here in the press box, scout for the Twins. Uh, he, he's featured on KOA and, and Pirate Radio and Greeley and in Fort Collins, but I sat down with him for an interview for a shameless plug coming, Saber Convos, Saber Conversations, a podcast that I just launched uh, back in June, and so that episode will be, be coming up in, in a couple weeks, so keep your eyes out for that. He knew the Halliday family really well and uh, was there for an even more inside and exclusive look uh, as to what goes down when, when a player gets inducted in Cooperstown. And then hopefully we'll both be there next year when on his final chance... Yep. We got to make this happen. Everybody out there, hashtag Walker HOF. Got to get Larry Walker into the Hall of Fame so that Patrick and I can make another trip out to Cooperstown. I've never been. So that's actually the best reason to make sure we get Larry Walker into the Hall of Fame is so that I can go to Cooperstown <laughs> and report on it. Uh, moving forward now to the baseball games that, that you covered. Uh, well, you got an interesting opportunity to catch up with Bud Black in New York on the anniversary, near the anniversary, pretty much on the anniversary of the infamous Pine Tar game. And uh, it's difficult to explain to people that didn't witness it. You you, You could be watching baseball for the last 25 years, and if you weren't aware of this specific event, I think it would blow your mind that this is a thing that happened on a baseball diamond. I, I sent the story to a couple people who weren't aware of it, and they said, that really happened? They took away a home run from a guy who said, yeah, this really happened. Uh, so most of us know about George Brett and, and him coming out of the dugout and the, the, the pine tar incident is how it's known. But what were some of the, the new little tidbits? Because I had forgotten that Bud Black pitched in that game. So he had some great things to say in the article. What, what did you learn while putting that thing together? Yeah, I, I, I like the, the minutia of the them having to, you know, fly into New York just to finish up four outs of the game. Yeah. And, you know, Bud had mentioned, you know, a closer's role is, you know, every game he comes to the ballpark, you know, having to expect to pitch. But as the game plays out, you know, as you get closer to the ninth, you know if, if this will be a game for you or not. And, uh, you know, the, the, the pressure doesn't really start to mount until it, it comes time for you to come in the game. So there's not a lot of time for that pressure to set in. But in this instance, because of the three weeks uh, in between when, when the incident happened on July 24th, 1983, and when they actually resumed the game, the Royals knew that, well, hey, we're, we're up in this game right now, so obviously our closer is going to come in. So for three weeks leading up to it, uh, Quiz, as uh, Bud Black liked to refer to him, Dan Quisenberry, who I loved as a kid growing up with the Royals, he was fantastic. You know, a little, little submarine sidearm action. I, I kind of emulated him probably a little bit growing up. Uh, he knew for three weeks, like, oh, crap, I, I need to, I'm going to be the one who comes in this game. So almost as like a starting pitcher, right. it knows what's about to happen in this, this game where there's been a lot of juice and a lot of energy. And, but lo and behold, they, they get to the stadium and there's, you know, not very many people there, maybe a thousand, but said a couple hundred, you know, it's, I'm sure anywhere, anywhere in between the two. But, you know, some of the players went to the ballpark to warm up, to get ready for those four outs 
which took about 20 minutes, and then a couple other of them, uh, you know, might have gone to a bar somewhere in Newark. <laughs> right. I mean, it's such a weird, like, I can't even, this is such a game of routines. Like, I even get thrown off by a 6-10 start. Some, yesterday, I forgot it was <laughs> a slightly earlier start. I missed a little bit of clubhouse time. Because you get so into your routine. I'm used to a 6-40 game. And I just can't imagine a ball player trying to get ready to play four outs. Like, that's just the weirdest. That's so beyond. Even the stuff we've seen this year where the Rockies had that three-hour delay and then still played, and then had a day game, and then a doubleheader. Uh, flying to a city in between to get 20 minutes of four outs in, I can't even imagine. Uh, yeah, Billy Martin, that, that was another thing that I had heard, but getting the, the details of, of the event made it, made it all the more better is that, you know, as soon as the game started, Billy Martin, who's, you know, borderline Hall of Famer, and we might see him get in at some point. He's borderline a lot of things, too. Uh, uh, that's Billy an understatement. Martin, <laughs> Billy Martin tended to, he exists right on a lot of borderlines, and I think that's all right. I think that's why we love him. That's true. One of the great characters in the history of the game of baseball. Yeah, but but very much underrated as a manager. You see yes. what he did with, with so many teams, the A's, even the Rangers. Uh, Yankees, of course, uh, fired several times, fired and hired many times over. But he came out at the start of that game, to essentially, you know, protest the idea that, well, wait a minute, uh, Brett didn't touch first base, uh, or second, or, or third, and and he said to the the new umpiring crew, well, how do you know he didn't touch first base? And uh, because you weren't umpiring the that's game right. for the first eight innings, nine. <laughs> how do you know? And and the home plate umpire, which I don't think was Tim McClellan, he was in the first, he was in the original game, uh, pulled out an affidavit signed by all four umps saying. Yes, he touched first. Yes, he touched second, et cetera. So wow. he, Billy just took that, put it in his pocket, went back to the dugout and said, all right, let's, let's play these four outs. You come out with some legal tender. Nothing, I don't like a yeah. baseball game with some legal tender. Uh, but it's a great story. So even though, uh, yeah, we posted it a couple of weeks ago, if you didn't get a chance to read it, make sure you go back and check that one out. Just one of those great stories in the game of baseball, the, the things that happen. And... Um, all right, before we jump into this final topic of articles you wrote about, I do want to remind everybody that Breckenridge Brewery is now the official beer of BSN Denver. You are all very familiar with their vanilla porter. I'm sorry, their vanilla stout, their oatmeal porter, uh, all kinds of fantastic beers they got out there. You know the world-famous Avalanche, but all of you are going to love their new Strawberry Sky. It is an absolutely fantastic summertime drinking beer. It's become my favorite beer uh, this summer, and so I know everyone out there is going to love it. You can find it at any kind of liquor store. You can check out Breckenridge uh, specifically, and then you can come on out and join us for some of these fun pub crawls and events we've been doing through the BSN Denver events calendar. We're drinking Breckenridge brews at all of them, so you know, and if you find yourself drinking a Breckenridge brewery, take a, take a not the brewery, the beer, obviously. Uh, take a, a photo and send it to us, and, and we can retweet it out there because we know those guys are huge sports fans. They love what we're doing here. They want to be a part of your sports watching experience as much as they can. And all sports watching is better with some Breckenridge brews. So check them out. Check out the events calendar so you don't miss the next pub crawl. There was one other thing. That, that you did out on the road trip that I really wanted to get into here. Speaking of the things that happen, something that it looks like is going to happen. The Washington Nationals have extended their nets out quite a bit. Uh, I, I think we saw already, oh, I was watching on TV, you were there, that 
it didn't seem to have the, some of the negative impacts that a lot of people think are going to happen. You can't see the game as well. They seem to have a workaround for getting autographs ahead of time. And it feels like in the time since you wrote that article and, and, and got the reasoning behind why the Nationals did what they did, the Rockies released a statement right along in there as you were working on it. And I, I just see it more and more of these. We saw one last night off the bat of Buster Posey uh, hit a hard line drive and it looked like someone was hurt. They were taken care of by the paramedics. But you could see him staring over in the crowd, worried that we, we saw what happened with, uh, it was Albert Almora for the Cubs earlier in the year when he a ball off of his bat struck a fan. And so I don't get as much pushback on this as I used to. I, I do hear some people saying, I don't want it to impact my view. Hey, if you're going to sit there, bring a glove and pay attention. But I think we've kind of gotten to this tipping point where it's like, you can make some of those arguments, but the punishment for looking down at your phone for a few seconds or for not paying attention every few seconds shouldn't be potentially dying. That's that's kind of that's my position, you know. Um, but but you got into this more in depth with the people in charge of figuring this stuff out, and it's not as easy as just put up the net and call it a day. So again, you know, what were some of the difficulties and and reasons behind doing this that that you learned uh, while digging into why Washington? has gone ahead. We, we still don't know for sure that Colorado's even going to do it. The, the statement they released said they're looking into it uh, about extending the nets. So what do you think, and, and where have you come down on this whole situation? Because it's a big talk around baseball this it year. It is. It's, it's a, very, a very loaded conversation. There's just so many different angles to hit it from, where it's the fans, it's, it's, it's the ownership group, it's, it's you know lawyers, too. You know, you obviously, you can't put a price on uh, someone's life, but you certainly can uh, in, a, in a lawsuit. And so for the Washington Nationals to basically scrap everything that they had done for a year and a half, they, they tore down their entire netting that went up in 2018, consulted with engineers to then figure out a new way to put, you know, to expand that netting, which doesn't go foul pole to foul pole. Uh, it just gets it going down the line far enough where, um, it, it essentially does protect everybody in that lower bowl. Uh, I'm not sure about the with the White Sox if they. I think they did go net to net, but you know ultimately they they were able to work out a, a couple different things. And, and one of those, as you kind of touched on, is they were able to get the netting to roll up behind the dugout, so you could still have that fan interaction. That's that's something that absolutely needs to be solved that that's something that needs to be figured out we we saw fans here today at Coors Field go down there were four Rockies players signing autographs fans coming in early in the game to have that connection you know uh, we've even seen clips of of people in the stands and players having a game of catch back and forth that's that's relatively right. new yeah that's awesome when you see that Chris yeah, Iannetta loves doing that right that's so fantastic and if you you know you throw up netting you know, 360, let's say, around the stadium, you don't have those interactions, but you do have safety. So, uh, you know, Major League Baseball and, and uh, the Players Association, everybody needs to come together to figure out a solution where the fans are safe, right? So they've got that part now with, with the expanded netting, but they need to figure out how they can have the players and fans just interact a little bit more so there's not that net. Uh, one of the fans I talked to, he mentioned, you know, sitting front row. And, you know, when you're sitting up close to it, you know, you, you do see the netting. Um, ultimately, 
um, talking with the uh, with Scott Fear, who's the the vice president of uh, of safety and, and and security at Nationals Park. He said the netting is ninety five percent visibility netting. Uh, so you know you you stand far away and far enough back, you, you don't even know that it's there. You don't see it. Garrett Hampson said that the other day. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot numerous points in the game. Like I I couldn't see it. It looked like there was nothing going on back there. So. Um, that, that's one of the reasons why you haven't really heard people complaining because they forget it's there. Right. The beginning of last season, netting was expanded over the dugouts, and people, you know, from February through March, just talked about how bad it was going to be, and then you did not hear a peep afterwards right. because it just ultimately was not an issue. You know, there's right. there's a science behind it. You know, with our brains and how vision works, where you know you you don't see the netting at a certain point. Your brain just blocks it out. And that's ultimately what's what's happening with this, uh, and they're going to continue to improve the quality of the netting so that it's not only safe and and kind of can bear support. You know, you saw Jeff McNeil uh, jump into the uh, well, he didn't jump into the stands, but he jumped on the netting and and bounced off for a very nice play the other day in Chicago. Um, I love it. I'm telling you, that's I had never thought of this potential upside. I, for me, me this was always about you know, hey, let's let's make sure no one gets seriously seriously hurt or maybe even killed out there, and and that has to be number one priority. But as soon as you tweeted that shot of Jeff McNeil going into the, I thought we're going to see a whole new generation of Spider-Man catches, and I am all here for it. Run into that thing with reckless abandon, leap into it if the net's going to catch you. Why not? Um, and, and again, that's a place where you could see players get injured. We've seen a lot of players get injured going into the stands, running into those barricades. And so, look, we're not going to bubble wrap the game of baseball. You can't stop people from getting hurt. But if a guy can make an extraordinarily athletic play like McNeil did and not have to worry about hurting himself or hurting a fan by leaping into their lap, I'm, I actually think we're going to see a whole new generation of web gems that we, we're, we're going to have to decide what are the most impressive net catches. It's going to be a whole new area of baseball. I'm actually very excited for it. Yeah, it, it, it definitely improves player safety because now they have an area that they can kind of jump into. They don't need to have to worry about stopping on a dime. We saw David Dahl had to do that when that ball right. came back on him and, and caused him to have the, the right ankle sprain. He had a similar play in 163 last year in L.A. Remember, he didn't hurt himself, but he was going to that, that left field wall and he kind of fell into the the thing and almost and we were all surprised because it's David Dahl that he that he was totally okay but yeah those are the scary plays there, there was a play a couple of years ago and and you know I don't I don't know the if the net would have prevented this or not but uh an outfielder for the A's Dustin Fowler uh slid into and this may have even been in Chicago I'm not sure but uh I at guarantee rate field where the White Sox play but he he slid in going for a ball, and there was uh, some some kind of you know outlet box or, or breaker that was exposed on the playing field that he slid into, hurt his knee. He was out. It was it was his first game ever. It was his debut, uh, and he's actually came around and he's he sued um, the White Sox and uh, the yeah. the, the ownership group yeah. there at, at Guarantee Rate Field a couple of years ago. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's. It's not an unintended consequence. It's an unintended benefit right. uh, for for them to have that netting. So once they work out how to you know improve that that kind of fan engagement, I think people are just going to understand that it's better. And you know the other aspect of it, and I know it's been said, uh, but not enough, is that the players themselves are not on their cell phones. 
when they're on the field. I know it's hard to believe. Right. They're, they might they might be pulling something out of their pocket to consult, uh, but it's not a smartphone or a tablet, uh, and they themselves cannot protect themselves. Right. So uh, it, it also needs to be mentioned that at a certain point, uh, you did not get a ticket if you did not click it. Right. The, right. the government had to basically say, look, we're doing this for the benefit of everybody. We, you need to put your seatbelt on um, or else you're going to have a fine because, look, you're going to be much safer. Um, even in just in a tiny little fender bender, we're not going to have people, you know, going through windshields or, or getting concussed on their, their steering wheel. So we're going to say we're, we're doing this to protect you folks. You have to put your seatbelt on. Well, Major League Baseball is finally getting around to saying, look, we have to do this for you fans. We have to put the netting up. The balls are coming in too quick. These exit velocities are ridiculous. The players themselves, even with gloves, can't protect themselves. So you know what? We're going we're gonna to protect you for your own sake. Perfectly said. I think that's a good place to send this to a commercial break. Come back on the other side. Talk a little bit more about what's going on specifically with these Colorado Rockies. Take a little bit of a look forward here and just get back into the grind. But, Patrick, thanks for uh, filling us in on all that. It was really great work on the road trip, man. Thank thank you. you. I appreciate that. Hey, if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how to be a mature, refined adult, or you just really like wine, you have to check out my friends over at Weinster. Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America today. What makes Weinster special is that the majority of wineries they work with are too small to attract the attention of retailers, meaning not only are you getting access to some delicious and hard-to-find wines, you're also supporting real people making real wine, not one of the few large corporations producing most of the wines available in stores. With Weinster, All you have to do is sit back and relax as they curate a hand-picked shipment from the best small wine producers in the U.S. Then, when you fall in love with a couple of wines, as a club member, you can have them sent right back to your door with no shipping cost. I especially love Weinster because it was founded by three CU Boulder alums, so sign up today with the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment of wine and start being a real grown-up. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R. All right, welcome back into this final segment on the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Wanted to have a few wrap-up thoughts here talking about where the team has been lately, uh, but then not get too much in. I'm actually recording this. We are in the third inning of the final game against the Giants. The Rockies are up 3-2 to two and threatening as I am recording this. So I don't want to do too much uh, about the game before that they lost. I, I did mention, you know, I thought John Gray did a nice job of battling back, had an absolutely horrible first inning, ran into some bad luck, particularly on uh, the first RBI double from Pablo Sandoval, which really could have been a 5-4-3 inning-ending double play had it not been for the shift. And I want to get more into, in the future, talking about some of the things philosophically going on with the defense. I've talked about how some of the poor defense this season has really hurt the Rockies pitching, but I think there's more to it than just the personnel and individual mistakes. We've talked about Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond in particular when it comes to that and Rymal Tapia. Uh, But I also think that, especially when it comes in the outfield, there's a longer conversation to be had. I think we saw a lot of it. Uh, yesterday, in particular the play where Pablo Sandoval was able to score from second base on a single to left field. And I saw a lot of people asking me, how come Ian Desmond's throwing arm is that terrible? And it's not. 
Ian Desmond was playing basically on the warning track that play, and that's where they've had the Rockies kind of setting up. The, you look out there, the outfielders are way too deep. This is something that's been talked about a bit this year and was mentioned a little bit by Mike Talkman in some comments he made after moving over to New York. But I thought yesterday was a really strong example of some of the philosophical things, like a little bit of overshifting both on the infield and in the outfield that the Rockies have been doing that is costing them. And uh, so, so I'd like to jump into that a little more in the future. But beyond that, I honestly thought Gray, after having to throw about 35 pitches in the first inning and giving up four runs, really did a nice job to get it back, keep the game in contact, and give his club an opportunity to make a run against Madison Bumgarner, which they did. And if you go back and look at it, Bumgarner got an extra inning, but they basically pitched each other to a stalemate. Stuff gets you in this park, whether your name is John Gray or Clayton Kershaw or Madison Bumgarner. It's tougher when it gets you in the first inning because Gray knew out of the gate at that point he wasn't going to have a long night. It, it's just tough to after you throw that many pitches and give up that many runs in the first inning. But he shut it down after that. He didn't end up giving up any more runs. Four earned in the game. Uh, was able to get through the next couple. What was not his best stuff. And he was able to do it without having his fastball. And I, I thought that was pretty impressive the way he was able to navigate the next couple of innings primarily with his slider um but but all told he kept his club in the game and then they got some really good performances out of the bullpen from brian shaw and jake mcgee before carlos estevez sort of let it get away from him there and and that was the game but overall i I think you're seeing honestly a team that's playing with a lot more they're just playing looser there you saw it yesterday on the play where nolan arenado you know, raced home and, and slid in just ahead of those guys scrambling. There were smiles. There were high fives. The team is relaxed. As frustrated as I think a lot of fans are that the Rockies didn't go out and make a bunch of big trades and get rid of a bunch of dudes, the clubhouse, I think, is very relieved that they didn't go out and get rid of a bunch of dudes and that they, you know, that they're, they're basically the same team they've always been. And I know, you know, for, like I said, a lot of fans, it's frustrating. But for them specifically, uh, I, I see a team that since the trade deadline is really playing for each other. I think they're going to finish the season on a good stretch of baseball. No, I, I still think it's very unlikely they go on some kind of run and get themselves back into the mix for the wild card. But at the very least, for those of you that tune in every single day, no matter what the record is, I think you're about to see a much better brand of baseball. Fewer mistakes, fewer terrible at-bats, fewer just absolute miserable outings out there on the mound. Even Estevez didn't get totally blown up, ran into some bad luck there. Posey got a great hit on him. But it was fundamental baseball that came down to an at-bat that the other guys just happened to win. It wasn't, you know, he didn't walk the bases loaded and then give up a jack, and then the team had no chance to get back in it, right? The Ian Desmond potential steal of second. I know a lot of people, when he got picked off that, very frustrating, especially when right after that, Hampson lines one into the gap that should have tied up the game. But even that's a better brand of baseball than what we saw in the month of July. I think the team is relaxed. I think they're playing better. And because of that, we're going to see, it looks like they just got a couple more runs yet. Daniel Murphy drove in another one. They may take this series here from the Giants who've been playing some of the best baseball in the National League over the last month or so. And and so, and so I think you're going to continue to see that regardless of their competition. Because of the Rockies' talent level, they're going to play up. They're going to play well. They're going to play sound fundamental baseball because a lot of the pressure, I think, has come off of these guys. It's frustrating. I know it is to, to see as, as soon as they're out of it, them finally relax and start to play better baseball. But sadly enough, even though I don't think it'll be enough to get them back in it, I think 
the best version of the 2019 Rockies will be seen here in August and September. So um, for whatever that's worth to you, I, again, Ryan McMahon continues to look good at the plate. Daniel Murphy with the three-hit day yesterday. Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado continuing to do their thing. And we keep our eyes on the pitching. So far as I'm speaking, Freeland has been able to navigate a bit today, and we're, we're going to keep our eyes on all of that stuff. But there's plenty to watch on this team moving forward regardless of the record and it ain't over it ain't over till it's over everyone has to play out these games i guarantee you the giants are out here trying to win these baseball games and the rockies are out here trying to win every single baseball game for the rest of the season and if they keep playing how they have since the deadline they're gonna be in these games they're gonna make a run they're they they're going to at the very least play spoiler to some teams that were hoping to do better but they've they've also got an opportunity coming up inside the division after they wrap this one up with the Giants they've got a couple in Houston then San Diego Arizona and then a few more with Arizona after a, a, a quick one with the Miami Marlins there's an opportunity here for them to to do some stuff there, there's a reason you got to play them all you have to play all nine innings you got to get all 27 outs you got to play all 162 and everyone's got to do it so Thank you guys so much for listening in today. I hope you found all that stuff with Patrick interesting. I really have been meaning for a while to get him on to, to talk about all that stuff. So really appreciate his time. Thank you all for listening in to these podcasts. Regardless of what the team is doing, you, you really do give me life to, and energy to be able to do it. So thank you all. Make sure you're following us on social media, at BSN Rockies, at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lines. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook or whatever podcast app you're using. Subscribe to bsndenver.com so you don't miss out on any of those exclusives. And if you keep being awesome, I promise you I will keep being Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. Hey, guys. I was just sitting here talking to Lindsay about Total Bev's new app. It's incredible. You can shop 5,000 different wines, 2,000 beers, 3,500 spirits, anytime, anywhere. Better yet, you can have Total Beverage shop for you and pick it up inside prepaid and waiting for you. Wait a second, that is so cool. So can I still get it delivered if I use the app? Absolutely, I know you guys have heard of their delivery service. Total Beverage will deliver to your house within 90 minutes or less. We can even save you 10 bucks on a purchase of 50. Use promo code TOTALLY10 at checkout. What's also amazing, BSN fam, if you can't find an item you want, Total Bev will give you suggestions of similar items on the shelf, or you can request a special item right from your phone. It really doesn't get much better than that. Remember, use promo code TOTALLY10 at checkout to save. That's T-O-T-A-L-L-Y 10.